Welcome to Story of a Storyteller. I'm your host, Connor Braden. This is the show where I found out all about the ins and outs of the lives of storytellers of all kinds. You can find my free novella, The Stolen Dagger, episode show notes, links to all sorts of amazing books, and more at connorbraden.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Hello, story lovers, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 2 of the podcast. My guest today is Anya Pavel. Anya is the author of The Moon Hunters, a post-apocalyptic science fiction novel, and The Garden of Stone Houses, a historical fiction novel set in the 19th century of New Orleans. She's also one of the most supportive authors I've ever had the pleasure to interact with. Like, seriously, I'm honestly... 100% definite that half of my book sales are because Anya keeps recommending it to people that she interacts with Um, in the episode Anya and I discussed how lockdown and the pandemic has affected her creatively or how it didn't possibly her childhood love of Star Trek and the Lord of the Rings as well as using your writing to purge demons from your own past I'll be honest I'm making that sound much more dramatic than Anya says it but you'll get the point when it comes up In other news, I'm writing away on the sequel of The Longest Night and I've managed to get a good 3,000 words done since the last episode. Now, that's very little compared to what I have done in the past, but, you know, I've had to take a break and I'm hoping to stretch that writing muscle so that by the end of July I'll have the back broke of the uh, first draft. Um, I'm really glad I took the break I did. I'm writing a very different character in this book as well compared to the first and I'm excited by them in a way I haven't been excited by a character before. It's great to get to think like other people and develop your own empathy as well as your own experience of the world by using the mindset and the viewpoint of someone else. If that makes sense. I don't know if it makes sense. (laughs) But it makes sense to me. So, you know, whatever. Plus, the birthday celebrations of the podcast are still being planned, so do enter the competition too. More on that at the end of the episode. For now, however, I'm going to stop rambling on so you can listen to the delightful and supportive Anya Pavel. I'm with Anya Pavel today, and uh, I'm really excited to talk to you, Anya, because I've known you for a good while now I feel like creeping up on a year before when we first started um chatting on Twitter and stuff so it's nice to that's one of my favorite things at this show is getting to know the writers I already know better if that makes sense um so so first before we dive in like no one's out of the woods yet with COVID right not something I thought I would say a year ago today um but you know we, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and like a lot of states in the US are like 70% vaccinated and stuff like that. So so what's what has lockdown life, COVID life been like for you creatively and as a writer? Well, um I ironically it's 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 been good in a couple of ways. <laughs> so, um Florida had a very short lockdown. I'll say there were still some limits, but no, they uh, um so when the pandemic started in March 2020ish, we I was working in learning support at a college and we went remote for a couple months. And then last July, 2020, we were told to come back. And oh. so um, I was not comfortable with that. So I had very bad anxiety, took mental health leave, and then things weren't so better. So I resigned, got remote teaching jobs, but it was actually a good thing as a writer because 
it forced me to look at my professional life. And I realized that the job I'd been doing for five years, I, I, yeah, I missed teaching my own classes. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, this is a perfect way to get some clarity and being at home also gave me more time and you know, working part-time remotely. It gave me more time to work on my writing. And it, we had a very insular existence mm -hmm. because although Florida, you know, opened a lot of stuff back up last summer, you know, my husband and I did not <laughs> go do those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we saw my mother-in-law and she isolated. If we had, if we saw friends, it was either via Zoom or they would come over and sit in our garage at the opposite end and we'd have the garage door open. So it was, you know, it was very, we, we kept to ourselves. We had groceries delivered, all that stuff. And so as a writer, it was, you know, it was a very introspective time, which I think I allowed myself to get away from all these other things, all these other distractions. And it gave me the inner insight. I think I needed to get some more things done. And, you know, also in my regular professional life, go back to doing something I really wanted to do. So, um, it was we, a bit of a reset for you then you could maybe say it was, yeah, it was. And I, I don't like turning something bad into something positive because so many people suffered and whatnot, course, yeah. but it was also a chance to, um, a couple, like a month ago, I went to go visit my family after we had all been vaccinated. So, you know, once we were fully vaccinated, we went to see other vaccinated people drove, 1400 miles north <laughs> over that's like the whole of europe like i hear that and like oh god she's practically in russia at that point like <laughs> probably actually yeah but it, it was over a few days and i have family you know that lives all the way up the eastern seaboard of the united states so it, it was a it was a good thing and we we still stayed safe and you know but those the states we were visiting actually had much better vaccination rate than the county i live in in florida <laughs> wow okay yeah <laughs> So we're still we're still being very safe here. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. One thing I think is interesting, though, about the COVID and, and everything, like, as you said, yeah, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, so many people lost their lives. And I, I'm not I'm not dismissing that. I'm just kind of more saying, look, for those of us that are on the other side of it now, we need to try and find the good before exactly. it, before it affects you. Because, I mean, right. it, it's the one thing no more than um like world wars uh, in the past it's something globally that no country has has no, how can i put it every country has uh, an experience with it so therefore every person has an experience with it so right it's kind of a thing if you do you have to you have to look at the positive so like getting that reset that must have been you know and are you happy are you happier now in your professional life with what you're doing now yeah i'm, I'm teaching in my field and you know ones i've taught in previously remotely and, you know, it was wonderful to get back into that <laughs> because when I was working full-time learning support, I could pick up a class here and there, but, mm -hmm. you know, juggling a 40 hour work week for the full-time job, plus additional class, plus additional writing, and then being present, you know, with my husband and dog, <laughs> you know, my immediate yeah. family, uh, it, it's, there's no way to do all of that effectively. So this reset allowed me to bring in more of the things that, you know, I, I wanted to do, and that made me happy. And I, I you know, the, the job I gave up, I, I miss the people there, all of that, but you know, that sometimes it's, it's just time to move on. And there are these life events that, you know, if you let them will give you that clarity to say, okay, you know, this is no longer the thing to do. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. More I, time no, yeah I think, yeah, more time, more time at home, more time doing what you want to do. I know that like, um, 
um uh my my boyfriend i think i think i've said this to you before that he um he was very ill like very very ill a number of years ago and um, yeah, i remember you telling me a little bit about that yeah yeah and i remember the two of us like when he kind of like the recovery was really where there was like three stages to it there was like yeah. recovery immediately um in hospital then there was a co- the immediate recovery when he got home and then there was the long-term like psychological recovery right. and it was just when we were in that third stage we had this big chat about well like we had close like he had a close call and it was a kind of a thing of what's important to you what's important to us as as a, as a family unit what's important to him as an individual what's important to me as an individual and through that discussion I ended up with this that's like, awesome with, with my book that's not awesome so, your your boyfriend was sick but yeah I know yeah yeah, yeah I know it's it's so that that's I guess that's why that's my point of asking yeah. that question is to try and you need you need to find a positive when there are negatives because otherwise the negatives would drive you crazy <laughs> right agreed agreed um so then I, I like we go let's let's just kind of go back now because I, I think that's a really good question to start with because it gets us kind of gives us a bit of a uh a preview of what your life is like now so we can go back now and see how you got there so like what was um tiny baby Anya like and um what was your where'd you grow up what was your family situation that kind of thing uh so I was born outside of Boston and my dad's an East, eastern orthodox priest so I was born into a priest family okay <laughs> But then um, my father kind of didn't make friends at that parish. So my family moved to Wisconsin because that was where someone where there was an available posting. And it was really weird. We lived in then this town with a hundred people <laughs> and then moved, upgraded to a town with 800 people. And my parents also taught at a small college in the area. So I, when I was younger, I was very curious and creative, but also slightly obstinate. <laughs> so not that I always have to get my way, but I, I'm very rebellious. And not that I always have to get my way, but did you always get your way? <laughs> no, I did not. No, oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, um, definitely not. And there was always a lot of religious conformity expected. And oh. I bristled with that. And then when I was 10, my parents got divorced. We, before that, we moved to Connecticut where my dad's family is from. And then I spent, you know, my high, my middle school and high school years there. And that's where I kind of I was exploring a lot of creative options. I always did art. I wrote poetry a lot when I was growing up and short stories with a lot of description, things like that. So I always had this creative bug and whether that manifested as poetry, short stories or art, then, you know, I always had some, something going like that. I didn't write any full length novels or anything growing up, (laughs) just, just short stories, small creative pieces and things like that. And then I, I went to college for art and biology, medieval studies, art history over the next, you know, 15 years doing various degrees and stuff. So hope I didn't go too far ahead there. But basically when I was younger, I was very, uh, and on the way there too, I got kicked out of the church. So that was also a very formative thing because when people tell me I'm supposed to do something religiously and I don't buy it, then I'm like, well, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so, um, you know, basically I was creative but also a little bit defiant and very driven in things I wanted to do. Okay. And so then what, um, do, do you have any siblings out of curiosity before we? I do. Yes. I have a sister. She's two years younger than me, a brother who's five years younger than me. And then a half brother, my mom remarried and oh. he's 23. So okay. Okay. I'm, I'm almost 42. So there's a huge range between. 
<laughs> my 23 year old brother and I. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I, I have three three siblings. Okay, so so the the two the two siblings that um are, are I don't want to say half a full sibling, so that sounds mean so half brother, but what, what where we shared the same dad? <laughs> sure, yeah, there we go. So the siblings where you have the same father. What's just out of curiosity? What's their relationship with with your old religion? Are they kind of in the same boat as you? Or are they kind of on the fence? Or are they still quite religious? Um, not. They're both kind of. They're elite. They left. <laughs> as well and it's not that it was a bad religion per se it's just it, it was you just know you. yeah and so my brother became episcopal because his wife is episcopal and my sister married a priest divorced a priest recently and is now having her own you know kind of awesome awakening okay <laughs> and thing. so you know so all of us have kind of you know definitely drifted away from the very strict thing we had when we were growing up okay yeah. none of us are still in there devoted this and that yeah yeah it's interesting because I, I um like uh, for any regular listeners you might recall um the interview with Margaret Gilmedi um mm. she also had a, a really strict kind of upbringing and equally all her and her siblings and even cousins kind of sprung away from that and all ended up being very creative people. I mean, she she does one woman shows and she yeah. makes and she does all sorts. So it's just really interesting because when I, anyone I've I've talked to on this show that said it had a, a strict upbringing, all seem to have ended up being on the show because they're creative people. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you said the word def- defiant earlier mm-hmm. a little bit. Like it seems to almost be in defiance of that strict upbringing, almost like so. Extent, yeah. Yeah. So, so like when you were, when you were young and you, like, I'm talking elementary school young, um, I had to translate in my head. I was like, I nearly said primary school. I was like, no, no. Yeah, primary school would be, yeah. Like elementary. Elementary. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's weird. Cause we have in Ireland, we have only two schools for mm. three. So like part of yeah. primary school is in early middle school and then secondary school. is. Yeah. Anyway, that's not, that's not the story. So <laughs> when you're in elementary school and you were, being really artistic and creative and all that was that were you ever discouraged from that at all which ended up making you wanted it more or was it just other things in the religion you didn't particularly like no it it was my my parents actually really encouraged you know creative expression so you know I got art lessons if I wanted to write something I did that so it I think it it was more so when it was just the, the I didn't always like going to church every single Saturday night when it's gotten to the friends. And also it was just a very, we had a priest come in who was very like hard, strict, but also very narcissistic. He later got defrocked for, okay. so this whole long, and I actually based my antagonist on him and the moon hunters, a cult leader. So I'm like, well, fuck you, dude. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to take your stupid fucking sorry stupid ass and make you a, a terrible character who gets killed by the end of the book <laughs> that's like a, I've seen it said so many times it's like never piss off a writer because they'll kill you in their next book so, so yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah so but I mean I, I think it was just because you know I've always believed in you know that there's multiple ways to view life if so if, you, if people are good to others they treat others well you know things like that then that makes good person I, I don't believe I have to follow very strict and plus I, I never agreed with the church's 
um, view on gay marriage and reproductive choice, things like that. So things like that. And then also the idea that if someone is Buddhist, they might not get into heaven because of, I'm like, no, all of that ridiculousness is, I, I don't, I don't believe in feeling guilty every single day. I don't believe in forsaking my, my self-worth or my mental health because I'm supposed to suffer through this believing this type of thing. Yeah. It it was more so that type of dynamic that are built against. Yeah. I think as well, though, that's, um, there seems to be kind of a generational thing because there's very few people um, like I I'm 32 now and there's, there's very few people I know that's like, your age and my age and all the in between that would be very religious and even the religious ones that I know that would mm-hmm. for example here in Ireland even people that I work with would go to still go to mass every Sunday but will still like um you know believe in reproductive choice and would believe in marriage and you know so it's it's there's this weird kind of um I think global religious shift because so many so many churches um, like uh, in my experience, the only one I know of for definite is the things the Catholic Church have done internationally. Um, like there was that thing a couple of weeks ago um, about the uh, residential school in Canada, and they found, oh, yeah, you know what I mean. So, so that there's loads of things like that, and I think globally there's this generational shift of, you know what? No, we're not going to believe everything you say anymore. We're going to do what we believe is right. Right. You know. Yeah. I, I agree hundred percent. It's, you know, it's that type of, it's, it is that shift where it's, it's believing in, you know, rights for everybody, yeah. <laughs> you know, little, little things like that, that should, that should be, <laughs> I'm like, that should be the forefront of stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Like it's the most important things. And yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, I, I agree that, you know, it's a huge generational shift in things. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of huge shift let's shift gears and talk about the next thing (laughs) look at that for a segue um what about so um what kind of stories like obviously maybe some religious stories might have struck a chord with you or maybe not but then outside of that what kind of stories grabbed you as a kid and kind of Mm. stuck with you or that you still have a fondness for now as an adult I think that this is um there was a story that I read when I was seven years old called the glass mermaid. And it was about this girl who had this glass mermaid and she went to go look at it on Christmas. And then she found this, these two elves trying to steal the glass mermaid and then go into this magical world through the base of the tree. (laughs) No, seriously, it was awesome. And that was when I was in my mermaid phase. (laughs) No, seriously. What do you mean? When? (laughs) <laughs> I think you're still in your mermaid phase a little I, bit. I think I am in the mermaid phase. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so that, you know, hence that's a very um, impactful book, but I think part of it was that I, I, I like to believe that there's beauty and magic and, and things like that in the real world. And, you know, the idea that, you know, this mermaid ornament was going to be taken through the tree to be turned into a real mermaid. <laughs> that, that was the whole premise of them stealing oh, the ornament. Ew okay yeah. that, that's that's really that's really sweet in a way because it's almost yeah. like the elves are like liberating this right mermaid you know when he was just stuck as an ornament yeah because uh, there's a lonely mermaid and then there's this whole witch that is trying to thwart the plans so it, I, I, i'm trying to remember all the dynamics of it but 
but yeah, it was a very, it was creative. It, 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 there was, there was beauty, there was mermaids, there was the ocean, there was magical worlds, all these things. And so, you know, I, I think that that was, it made such an impact on me because in my writing, I always try to bring in elements that are, you know, beyond what we see in the physical world or just to try to give it some, you know, sense of the intangible. Mm-hmm. I, I think as well, like that particular story that you, you're talking about the last mermaid, the lonely mermaid is very, there's, there's, there's something I think is in every, we were talking about generational shifts. Like I think there's something in nearly every generation in childhood books of a child stumbling across and finding something magical that was just hidden. Exactly. Like the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, you know, um, Lucy pen, pen, oh, pensive, pensive. I, Ugh, the name is stuck. The surname will come. Oh, to what was it? Do you know? Oh, sorry, you were for a second. Oh, oh, I thought you knew it. I was going to be so happy. No, I was like, I don't know. Sorry, no. For, for a second, thought you you froze, and I'm like, oh no. Oh <laughs> no, no, no. That was that was me actually freezing because I was like, what? Oh. <laughs> but um, you know that girl Lucy going back of the wardrobe and discover Narnia, um, like Toy Story. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, what is that except the same kind of thing? You know, so. Exactly. It's just, I think every, every kid, no matter what era you look back on is hoping to discover something magic. And when they do through books, it sticks with them. Agreed. You know? Agreed. Um, is there any other than stories like, and when I say story, I don't just mean books. I mean, like even films, mm. TV shows um, that kind of stuck with you that you think maybe had affected you in any way in terms of like how you are now and why you believe the things you believe or whatever. That's a good question. I, I mean, this is also kind of silly, but all the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> just because it, it brings in the whole idea of, um, of you know, of languages. Of and I, you know, I do a lot of stuff with medieval literature, medieval art. So you know, tapping into all of that lore <laughs> was always you know had such an impact on me, and uh, it's impacted me my writing a little bit as well. Like I, I bring in you know, reference to a medieval legend <laughs> or a medieval tale and the moon hunters and whatnot, but definitely the Lord of the Rings. And I'm trying to think of um, films. And of course, it'll probably come to me much later. <laughs> when oh, I'm always the way, like every, <laughs> nine out of 10 of the interviews I've done, I'll always get a message like, oh, I wish I said this thing. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I liked some Disney stuff. Um, but, you know, as I got to be 12 and 13 years old, I'm like, I'm too cool for Disney. <laughs> so um, I think maybe Beetlejuice because. Really? Yeah. Because, you know, that kind of pre kind of maybe preceded my very goth days. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, that, you know, the idea of the aesthetic that is darker, things like that. So probably, you know, Tim Burton films well like Beetlejuice is there are bits in it that are quite gruesome and dark like from if memory yeah. um I, I I never I can't remember ever watching watching it as a kid but I remember watching it like years later as a kind of older teenager and being like oh this is not a kid's movie like it is but it's not <laughs> yeah you know yeah uh, and a lot of kids might not get parts of it <laughs> things like yeah, that yeah 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 exactly um like the what's what, I can't remember the actress's name, but like even even the fact that the people that have to work in the like in the clerical offices, like the reason they have to work there, if you remember that, why they're there. 
don't. Okay, well, it's just it's just because of the way they died. And oh, okay. Yeah, like even that, like I I know for a fact the first time I saw that I was just like, oh, okay, I, I don't get it. And then years later, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. that's dark. <laughs> like that's really dark. Yeah, and now that I think about it, definitely like Star Trek Next Generation, that was a huge thing too. Getting really? Into- oh yeah. Oh, so okay. That and so yeah, my um my parents watched a lot of Star Trek, <laughs> so you know I watched it too, and it it kind of you know expanded my I, I my interest, and again you know if we look beyond Earth, what could there be? So it, made, it kind of tapped into my sense of wonder, I guess you could say. Uh, plus, because seeing as we said it earlier about that like whole thing of believing everyone should have rights, that it's a tiny thing. Like that's that's key to the whole Star Trek ethos, Great. you know. It is. Um, so that's probably a little bit of that in you as well for that reason. Um, uh, it was very accepting of different perspectives. The Prime Directive, don't interfere, things like that. Well, even now, I I am. Um, out of all the nerdy, geeky mm-hmm. kind of um, fandoms, the Star Trek would be the one I know the least about. Uh-huh. But I do know that a lot of people, when when Next Generation came out, there is a, so for those who know nothing about Star Trek, just in case, there's an alien race called the Klingons. And yes. in the original 60s series, the Klingons mm-hmm. were nearly always the bad guys. Like, almost always they were they were just the villain race and whenever they showed up it was like the daleks in doctor who it was like oh there's gonna be a you know whatever but then in next generation there was apparently initial outrage that there was going to be a klingon in the main cast as Mm -hmm. a good guy who was like on the crew with them and part of you know so it's just i think that's really interesting because it's that whole like even shows like even within this utopian thing they still had to progress and still give yeah 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 um, my high school yearbook quote was actually in Klingon. Was it? Was. <laughs> Can you remember it? Yeah, Kapla Hijol. I think success beat me up. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't know that. That's 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 something. I'm mispronouncing it because it's been a really long time. But yeah, it was it was in Klingon. And but you know, you, you bring up an interesting point about how you know the '60s the Klingons are vilified, but then. You know, it's Deep Space Nine, sorry. Oh, I need more coffee. <laughs> but in Deep Space Nine, for a while, the Klingons and the Federation ally against the Dominion and all this others. I know way too much about this. But, you know, it, it, it shows it, there's a, a definite, you know, shifting of political alliances, shifting of things, which I think mirrors the physical or you know, things on Earth a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. things are rarely black and white you know it's not that this side is always good this side's always bad it's a lot more nuanced and complex and i think that as star trek evolved it really showed a lot of that complexity so but i think that's good for people watching it because it lets them know okay don't just split and assign values yeah yeah exactly because i do know um one thing like even just to do with uh gene roddenberry who's the guy who created uh star trek and everything he it was really important to him this kind of equal equality across everything and all that and like one thing i think it it, it kind of i often have to readjust in my head was that <laughs> star trek and martin luther king same decade yeah you know what i mean the stonewall riots and and star trek same decade like it, it's you know it's because star trek is sci-fi and it's futuristic and 
you know, people think like that. But Star Trek even had the very first American on-screen interracial kiss. Yeah. yeah. Um, between. Um, I think I it was Perkinsura. Yes. Perkinsura. Yeah. 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 So like even that, like, I mean, it just, it's, it's more yeah. the thing, all about equality and. Yep. And I think Star Trek Deep Space Nine too, they had, I, I, I could totally be wrong on this. They might've had the first on-screen um, woman and woman kiss. There was, Ooh. that was one of the episodes, but that's what I read somewhere, but you know, I, I don't want to. Was Deep Space Nine after Next Generation or before? It was after oh okay all right there you go sorry now now this has really become a star trek podcast hi everybody yeah, sorry <laughs> instead of story of a storyteller it's story of a trekkie yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hey that's that's part of who you are and that's the whole point of the show um so then we, we did you ever write any star trek fanfic or anything like that or did you ever never went down that route no and the, it's not that I, I didn't want to i think it was just that when i was really interested in it, i had so much other stuff going on <laughs> so um it was just and I think I was in the mood to kind of like consume that content instead of create it because you know I was I was determined to you know when I was watching all of these things in in high school I I was like all right I want to go to college in Florida I don't want to stay in Connecticut so I'm gonna do get this to get these scholarships I'm gonna plan this and plan this and there you know it was kind of my watching science fiction was kind of my way to decompress Okay. Yeah, yeah. Content and you know, give me creative ideas. But um, I was I was more so channeling that creativity and the energy into the creation of other things. So it, it became a way for me to just enjoy. And yeah, it was it was your switch yeah. off and chill out. Yeah. yeah, which is which is really important. I mean, it's something I think a lot of us, especially people that create things now, like novels, podcasts, yeah. such a, I think we kind of forget you do have to have something that just you can switch off yeah. to. Yeah. Um, Telenovelas now. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. That's from one end of one spectrum to the other of the other. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about telenovelas that uh, drags you in? It's just that the plotting is so extreme and hilarious. <laughs> so it's it's, you know, Think of the worst drama that is in this world and then magnify it times 11 million. <laughs> and then <laughs> there's that. <laughs> so, and it, so it's just the, it's, it, it's like a guilty pleasure type of thing. Yeah. Lots of drama, lots of scandal, <laughs> lots yeah. of just yeah. hilarious stuff. So, you know, it's, it's again, and I'm not going to write telenovela fan fiction or even a telenovela screenplay, but it becomes something that, I, I can step out of and just again sit, enjoy, laugh at it, you know, have, have fun. So yeah, no, that's as I said, that's important. Um, so then, if you weren't writing, like if you weren't writing Star Trek fanfic, were you ever writing when you were in high school, middle school, or was it all you were so driven to get to Florida to go to college that that kind of all fell to the wayside? Well, I, I did. Um, I did a lot of poetry and I, I, I was in this poetry competition where we had a chance to go to Ireland. <laughs> if we, oh, really? well, I know. Yeah. I, I got the first, um, I, I made the first round where you're submitting the poetry and then we had to go read because it was be reading this poetry in Ireland and I had a very bad sinus infection. So I got up there and I was barking like a seal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
that could have been part of the poetry like you know <laughs> but yeah no it, and plus honestly if I'm looking at it honestly the way I was reading it even if I hadn't um had the you know the seal thing going on it would have I was not the the best at the reading it aloud I was very shy and you know it, it, I just wasn't you know delivering it in a way mm-hmm. that other people would so you know in, in that case I was like all right so it is what it is, but I, I really enjoyed poetry sonnets and I did some, you know, in some of my English classes, we would write short creative pieces and I would do that. And I had, you know, short story collection that I had going. And so I did a lot of writing. I, I didn't publish it anywhere. <laughs> you know, I entered the poetry competition, but I, I still have a lot of it. I look at it. I'm like, oh, that's not that great. But you know what? That's OK. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had to cut your writing teeth somewhere. Like, exactly. like exactly. when I, when I was in secondary school, you know, 14 to 19, mm-hmm. um, 13 to 19, actually, I, uh, I wrote a lot of short stories and a lot mm-hmm. of like small little things. And I often just kind of, <laughs> there was a couple of years I had one secondary in, my, in secondary school, my English teacher would give us homework and it'd be like, uh, write a letter to a politician complaining about such and such, you know, that was the, the homework. And I come in like, uh, Miss, I wrote this story instead. And she'd be like, oh, Grace, do you want to read it there to the class? I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> and it was, I used to think I was very well liked by my classmates because whenever I had a story, they're like, oh, great. And they'd sit back, you know, and I thought they were into the story. And then I realized um, because someone let it slip by accident. No, it was because it meant they didn't have to do any work in class. <laughs> you take what you can get. I mean, I had a captive audience, so I would write for them. And yeah, and like I said, I think every writer, once they get published, there's always little stuff they did mm-hmm. when they were teenagers in their 20, early 20s, whatever, that they did that was never meant for anyone else's eyes. But still. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And I started, you know, writing something in my early 20s, and it was crap. <laughs> same, same, yeah. yeah. And it's important to do it, though. I mean, just to to practice and get ideas out. And thankfully, it never got published anywhere. <laughs> I don't see that. <laughs> Why not? So, um, when you were at that stage in your life, like kind of middle school, high school, and someone asked you, "What, what would you like to be when you grow up?" What would you have said? And the other way around, mm-hmm. what do you think that age uh, Anya would say about what you're doing now as a career? Hmm. So I think when I was in early middle school, like, you know, when I was 11 ish, 10, 11, I wanted to be an artist, but then when I be, I hit 11, 12, I wanted to be a marine biologist. So I switched gears and, you know, started preparing everything marine biology. Cause I, I loved the ocean. I did scuba diving and got certified to do that. And so then my mother was like, I wonder, could you ever combine, you know, the art and biology (laughs) and so yeah and so I started off college as a marine biology student and I think if um so so the other part of the question if you know Anya at that age could see you now would she be happy with how like we're not happy but would would she be like oh wow you're that you know what I mean I I think she would she'd be like oh that that's an unexpected shift, but it makes sense. It tracks. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's good. Cause I, um, 
I, I always laugh when I ask that question sometimes because people will sometimes say, oh, no, I wanted to be a firefighter or, oh, no, I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> and they're just like, no, they'd be very disappointed in me. <laughs> well, on, when I was six, I wanted to be a mermaid. And I had the, these neighbors sewed me a tail and I'd flop around. So the no down. way. Really? Yeah. Your neighbors just did that for you. That's. They were nice people. They, yeah. they the lady was retired and she, she was sewing. So she sewed me a little tail. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, have you seen, this is totally irrelevant to the whole the rest of the conversation. There's now a trend where there's like uh, people who are professional mermaids. Yeah. Like that. that's bonkers. Like this is a recent discovery for me. Um, I don't know how much you know about it, but do you want to maybe tell the listeners what that actually entails to be a professional? Well, there's uh, probably about three hours away from me. There's a place called Wikiwachi Springs and they actually have mermaids do put on the little mermaid underwater and then they have glass around it so people can see it. So oh. there, it, there's, it's a very, there's a lot of clear springs where the water gets filtered through the limestone. So it looks like blue crystal clear mm. and the mermaids will go into the, the, the spring and then the people will sit and kind of watch the show and they do it underwater. So I know that there are, you know, there are professional mermaids that go to this spring specifically to be mermaids. And I, I know that I, there are a couple of people, I think there are, I've seen some on social media yeah. that um, they are professional mermaids, people, And, you know, I'm, I'm like, if, if they, if, if they make money or just enjoy it, then I'm like, go oh, for yeah. It. yeah. yeah. Like, so they have these like amazingly beautiful, intricate, probably very heavy mermaid tails <laughs> that they put on and then they swim around and <laughs> like they train to be able to hold their breath for a really long time. And like, it, it's, it's, it boggles the mind there's just like like i never thought there'd be a job where you know oh yeah. what do you what can you imagine like meeting someone the first time and you're chatting it's like what do you do oh, i'm a teacher and i'm an author and i have a podcast right what about you i'm a professional mermaid like i'm amazed and a little bit jealous <laughs> yeah I, I know that's how i would be too it's you know yeah it, it, it's one of those things where you know it, it's it's a niche career but if you know it obviously appeals yeah yeah i mean like let's put it this way there'd be no such thing as that if there wasn't a demand for that right yeah yeah exactly i think it's awesome so what is it about writing do you think that kind of called to you when you were writing those poetry and those kind of stories like what 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 was it writing did for you then and does writing still do that for you now good question i definitely i've always had a lot of creative energy and I, I need to um, do something to release it by creating something. And if I don't do that, it really contributes to the sense of restlessness or anxiety, if that makes sense at all. So I was always trying to, I, I think when I was younger, it allowed me to express things I didn't know I was feeling. And it allowed me to channel my emotions into something because if, if I had any emotional outbursts growing up, you know, I had people telling me, no, control yourself, <laughs> be mature. <laughs> You're never going to get anywhere in life yeah. <laughs> if this happens. And so certain forms of expression like that were very much, you know, like get yourself under control. <laughs> and, you know, then it led to me, you know, a lot of times crying in my room, <laughs> trying to get these, you know, emotions, this empathy, these feelings. And so writing then it became, I don't want to say an escape because, it, that could be true in some cases, but I think it was more me taking 
all this energy, you know, frustration, what a, things I wanted to express, things I had the need to express and giving it some type of tangible form. So that, it, that released a lot of the pressure on me. And occasionally I, I, I still feel like that now, but I think right now it's much more of a productive thing instead of a reactive thing. So I see, I have these emotions and, you know, sure. I, sometimes I'm anxious. I want to write, but a lot of times it's for the love of creating something. Mm-hmm. And that's much more pronounced now than it was when I was younger. I still felt that love of creating when I was younger, but I think it was also a way to cope. Yeah. <laughs> and now, now it's sometimes a way to cope, but it's also, you know, something that brings much more joy. And again, I do it more, you know, for the purpose of doing it, for expressing myself because I want to, mm-hmm. and it's not just something that I'm doing to make sure my life doesn't blow up. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll talk about uh, your two novels, um, Moon Hunter and The Garden of Stone Houses, in a moment. But mm-hmm. I just just wondering, like now, when you write, is it mostly stuff you're creating for? Um, for the public eye like is it mostly novels or do you ever still write the odd poem or short story just to get something Mm. out well I think I think the 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 novels those are things that part part of it is you know part of it is still for me (laughs) and you know I I also try oh yeah I think that's true for every writer though isn't it like you're not going to write a book that you're not interested in (laughs) yeah I I think um I still do the occasional sonnet things like that for me personally Mm. but now it's becoming a lot more of if I write something, I'm like, okay, sorry, more coffee. <laughs> um, you know, you got I, water for yourself earlier. I think you should have got a coffee. <laughs> no, I should have, but then again, I want to be able to sleep later tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's off the cheek. <laughs> so I'll I'll think about that. But um, I think I think right now I, I still do some writing that's just for me, but more so I try to think think of things I could turn into something that is for the public eye. I think because part of it is I have more confidence in what I'm doing now and I've done it for a long time and developed certain things. So of course, you know, I, I could put it out there and it'll get some criticism. People won't like it and that's okay. But yeah. I know that some people will like it and, you know, people will enjoy reading it. So, yeah. And I mean, in a way, even like, because I, I know this is true for me and I'm not speaking for you, but I, I think I can that even when you are writing novels that you know, even while you're writing them, that they are for the public eye, you still work out certain things within oh, yourself yeah. through those that maybe you understand and you get as the author, but right. that the readers may or may not catch up on. Like even the fact that you mentioned there was that, um, that, that priest that you turned, yeah. that you based the villain of Moon Hunters on. Like even, even that, even, even though that was only one tiny thing in your head, you still got to, purge that i suppose from... exactly exactly and you know the the main character in the moon hunters she gets exiled from her community and you know so i channeled some of that stuff yeah so there, there is definitely a lot of channeling you know in this in the second book garden of stone houses there's really not that element there's not that purging thing that happened but, but I, I bet you though if you did if you if you sat back and read that as a reader i guarantee you'd still find something to be like oh <laughs> do you know what i mean you'll you, probably you know? Yeah, it's just not as on the surface and apparent. Yeah. 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 So speaking of um, the Moon Hunter, um, <laughs> I have two questions, so I'll ask them both at the same time. 
um one what was the the spark mm-hmm. what, what was the initial like huh that got you starting on the journey of writing that but before you say that could you just tell us what the moon hunters is about like the kind of blurby sure. Yeah, so um, The Moon Hunters is about, it takes place like 60 years or a little less than that in the future. And it's, you know, a long time after a plague. <laughs> I, I started writing this before, <laughs> way before coronavirus. Whoa. And so, yeah, so the, this, this doctor, she's on a research ship in the Pacific Ocean. They're studying dolphins or something. And then she comes across two people in a small, what looks like Viking sailboat <laughs> in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. They're all, they're dressed in, you know, ant- antiquated looking clothing and they don't have any navigation stuff. And so she brings them on board thinking they're refugees from an island. And then she finds out that they've been isolated from the world since the start of the plague. And so the, the story is the unraveling of how those two people, um, a young man and woman got in that boat, how they got stranded, <laughs> you know, what have they been doing? And basically the story, then it, it kind of flashes back to the girl telling about how, you know, she left an island that the rest of the world didn't know about. These people, right at the start of the plague, had sought refuge on the island from it. And there was there were three separate villages. One was set up by a cult leader who set up this really misogynistic society. <laughs> and that's where the protagonist, the girl Alani, is from. And so she falls in love with someone from a different village. She has to escape her um, original her home village, the, the misogynistic one where the people rule this volcano God and take, you know, take the sacred fruit, which is actually a drug that's used to control them. And then, then there's a tragedy. And then she had, she and her, you know, her love interest, they have to leave the Island and go seek help. And that's how they ended up in this boat. And then they're rescued. Okay. That's the premise of that book. And then there's whole other, you know, family dynamics and drama. Oh, of course. Yeah. And and so like, what was the initial spark then that got, what, what was, how can I put it? What was the seed that was planted in your head that grew and became the novel? I think it was a combination of things. One, I'd read World War Z and, you know, oh. and, you know, then I was looking, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I, I got fascinated by how I think Cuba in that book did pretty well because they yeah. isolated on the island. That was island where you could grow lots of things, you know, it was a way island nation i kind of wish that had worked out for ireland and covid but hey here we are but anyway (laughs) (laughs) and so then you know i'm wondering like okay well you know if people sought refuge what would happen if you know if there was a lot of conflict you know and then i'm like then i started I, i also love reading about cults and things like that and then i found there was this really weird cult in florida where they people believed that I don't know, there was, the sun was a crystal or something like that. <laughs> but anyway, oh, wow. it was just a few weird, weird thing. And then I also remembered that like the Scientologists, they have this big ship that, mm. you know, they, they go on. And, you know, so I was like, interesting. So what if, you know, a cult decided to, you know, go to this island to escape a pandemic, you know, with the, with the initial idea of getting the ship, you know, to live, in international waters so they could live by their own rules type of thing, you know, not, you know, immediately buying the ship to get away from the pandemic. But I was like, well, what, you know, what would happen if there were different types of, you know, settlements on this Island, you know, when does a refuge turn into a prison? And, you know, as someone who studies medieval history and all that stuff, I I love looking at 
complicated political dynamics. <laughs> and especially, you know, when people are competing for resources, things like that. So how do, you know, how do humans, how do political systems, how do they set up, how do they work with one another? So then I thought it'd be very interesting. I'm like, okay, well, if these people went away to escape something, had their own, you know, insular society for decades, you know, would one of them have set up their own type of government system? You know, how would they interact with other, other villages that might not have the same very strict values? And then what happens, you know, how would they reintegrate into the modern world? Would some people want that or would they be terrified? Yeah. So a lot of those things kind of played together. And then I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's investigate this. Do you know what? I kind of wish that, um, oh God, his name's gone out of my head. Director and writer of The Sixth Sense. Um, oh, M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, I, thank you. I really wish that he had the same intelligence as you of putting that on an island as opposed to the middle of a, a forest. Pennsylvania, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know, like for anyone who doesn't realize what I'm talking there's a film called The Village from like yes. very early 2000s, I think it was. Yeah, like, yeah. and it, it's, it's, it's not the same, obviously, but like there, there's a similar condition of what would happen if people's where they lived was isolated and that kind of thing. And yeah. And I think that movie was in the back of my head too, because I, I love that movie, the village. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think part of the thing was me reflecting on that too. Thank you for bringing that up. Cause I had forgotten that element. Yeah. But Cause, yeah. cause it, it is like, it's so obvious now that, that you said it, like put it on an Island, <laughs> like, you know, put it on an Island people can't escape. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, so what, what, how, how long did it take you to um, from, from when you, so you have this idea and um oh on a side note as well you mentioned world war z um yeah. if anyone hasn't read it read it but if you haven't read it and i'm saying this to you as well anya mm. listen to the audiobook of it mm. the audiobook of it is probably the best bit of fiction i've ever ingested uh, like oh, that because mr anya loves audiobooks but he doesn't read so i think he'd like that <laughs> Oh, he lo- he loved this because what's great because so World War Z is it's it's set ten years after the end of a zombie apocalypse and how the world is covered and this guy is hired essentially by the UN kind of um to like document the world's history of it and all this and so every chapter is essentially a separate short story that's completely isolated from the others but you still do get a sense of how the the zombie outbreak happened but what's great about the audiobook is it's it's done like interviews and nice. it's totally ah. different characters you know like you know how each story is yeah. a separate, so like they have different actors and it's it's yeah it's 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 extremely extremely good but how, anyway oh. back to back to you <laughs> um please, please tell people about because it it's, it's a great book i loved it yeah so yeah. And, and, I, I highly endorse people reading it in the audio now i know now i know that the audiobook is really good too yeah like I, I had read it and then I heard about the audiobook and I listened to it and I was like, oh wow. And I've listened to the audiobook more than once. But um anyway, back back to you, because you're the you're the guest of honor. Uh, <laughs> not Max L. Brooks. What about then how, how long did it take you to write The Moon Hunters? Like when when did you first really start writing, writing it? And when was publication day? Like what was that gap? Oh yeah. So th- that was a few years. Mm-hmm. I started writing it and it, it probably took me the initial draft about a year to a year and three months to write. Mm-hmm. And then I started querying and, you know, I some rejections, then I got feedback and I revised and then I found a publisher 
Chandra Press who published it. And even then we still had another two rounds of revisions. So it was published in, I think 2019. I should double check that. <laughs> I'm gonna be the person who I definitely I know, know. your book. Yes, 2019. There you go. Because I know there's people listening like, how does she not know what you're her book? Trust me. <laughs> when you're an author, these things blur into one another. It's and it, the honestly, the past year and a half has just been insane. Yeah. Like time has melted for me in some ways. Yeah. So um, but yeah, it, it was a couple years of you know, between starting to write and I would write a little bit like on my lunch break at the job where I eventually left in the pandemic and, you know, I would write it there that I had lots of revision because there were developmental things and I got feedback because I had this big info dump at the beginning with all this backstory. <laughs> and, you know, it's a combination of flashbacks of journal entries from 50 years ago, this and that. So it was this very, you know, to get the structure down was a, a lot of work between people who I worked with initially. And then I got, you know, eventually I found my publisher and then it was still more editing to get it ready for publication. Um, one thing I think is, it, it, what do you think it is? Because we, we, we talked a lot about um, other apocalyptic fiction. And I mean, the village is kind of a, you could kind of say it's kind of mini apocalyptic fiction. And there's so many movies uh, like, I mean, what's it called? Mad Max. And we have so many zombie movies and, there's things like, you know, the film 2012 and the day after tomorrow and then your book. Why do you think there's so much human fascination with the apocalypse and the end times? I think it appeals to like our sense of adventure or something like or kind of like how people love some people love to be scared during horror movies, mm. or like with ghosts and that type of thing. Um, I, I like, you know, I don't like super gory movies but you know really scary ones with supernatural elements I love because it's like you get the thrill of being scared without any of the um with the consequences yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's one reason why I I love it because again I can you know there's that thrill of the danger the excitement but it's from a distance it's very safe mm. and so it's, it's an interesting way to experience those emotions but mm. in a way that is not dangerous and plus, I think sometimes when I'm in a mood where I'm like frustrated or something, or if I'm just having a bad day, I'm like, I want to watch something where spaceships are blowing up <laughs> or I want to see the world swallowed by a tidal wave. It's, it's just a way to like, you know, to kind of vent those you know, yeah. things where, you know, I, you could go to a bar and do axe throwing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> instead of something, you know, physical, they have, you know, the axe throwing bars and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, there's none in Ireland that I'm aware of, but I've seen I've seen them. And I'm like, how? What? Huh? <laughs> like in my head, I'm like, how, how is that a thing? How is that legally allowed? And then I'm like, oh, America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> the axis. So, I mean, you know, it, you know, I like I like to jog and stuff like that too. But I, I think it's it, it's good to kind of. <laughs> Sorry, axe axe throwing, jogging. I, <laughs> it's such a such a difference, and yet they do the same thing. They purge that those feelings you need to get out. Right it's a tangible way to get stuff out, you know? And so I, I think sometimes, you know, as humans, we get frustrated, we get angry. And then, you know, seeing CGI of things getting destroyed, it, it, it's again, it's a way to kind of, you know, just indulge in that 
that negative energy, <laughs> but in a, in a cathartic way, you know, yeah. and again, without the, the, the damage or the risk. So I, I think, I think it's okay to accept those types of emotions because a lot of times people are like, if you feel bad, fix it or get rid of it immediately. Mm-hmm. But for me, I need to like, you know, again, do something or see something that just kind of matches that fury. And again, it's, and, and also I am very fascinated with how people deal in those situations. So I'm someone who, when, when COVID happens um, or started to, I, I didn't, I wasn't one of those hoarder people, but I got our hurricane supplies early. So a little bit at a place, no hoarding, but I'm like, okay, so if this happens, we're set here, we're set here. We have this, we have this, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I like to be organized and think about, you know, what would happen in this situation? What would we do? And so I, I like watching survival shows. I, I like post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic media because I get to see how some of that plays out. And I think my mind, which is a lot of times very analytical, it likes to play out those scenarios in case, you know, I'm ever in one. Because <laughs> what would that be like? <laughs> Imagine oh in the end it, days. If the air conditioning goes out, I'm pissed. And the Wi-Fi goes out, I'm pissed. So, you know, it, it would not be a- as long as those two stay i think you can get through anything (laughs) well i mean i've actually thought about i'm like okay well if there's a big flood then we go to the second floor story if we ever had to get away from people we could we could block the stairs because i learned about that in world war z block the stairs keep the upper story now if you need to get out then there's always the roof have an escape portal (laughs) so no i I mean seriously (laughs) these these are all things that you know if, if we ever had to you know, and plus it's always good to have disaster supplies on hand, things like that, you know, because it... See, you're saying you're saying this as someone living in Florida. I know. To, to a guy who lives in Ireland, where, <laughs> where like the temperature never gets too hot or too cold. We're just kind of always like, eh. like it's called temperate and really it should be called meh. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I just, you know, I'm like, you know, because there, there's always the threat of like, well, what happens, you know, if we have to evacuate or if we have to shelter in place and you know i'm not i'm not one of those people who the day before the hurricane comes or the day before a crisis is going to deal with it then i'm like we're going to have it all set yeah (laughs) so that way we can be informed (laughs) because you were there saying earlier like oh yeah i just got our hurricane supplies earlier and in my head i'm like what you're what we don't even have like a windy day here closes yeah. the whole country down and like you're probably like what that's not even category six you know or whatever i don't know but uh it's just it's just so mad like to hear somebody so casually say <laughs> i got my hurricane supplies early well i mean i, I went to college my did my undergraduate in miami and it was a it was a few years after hurricane andrew came so oh. one of my roommates she had lived through that and you know you know, Mr. Anya is from South Florida. So he's actually calmer about the whole thing. He's like, oh, we'll be fine. We have all this. And so he's in charge of the generator, getting the gas for the generator <laughs> and, and all that stuff. But it's, it's just like, I don't know. I, you know, and then in Wisconsin growing up, there was, there were tornadoes all the time. So there were a lot of my formative years, you know, hearing the siren, having to go into the basement. And yeah, it, it's, I, I don't like thinking about that type of thing, but I'm always, you know, always like, well, what would happen if this happened? And it could just be because I'm a naturally anxious person. <laughs> but also, if you didn't have that, what would happen if this happened? You probably wouldn't be a writer. 
True. Exactly. So, you know, and maybe that's, you know, I, I like to, you know, consume the post-apocalyptic stuff. Cause I'm like, Oh, okay. That's actually a really good idea. <laughs> you know, what can we take from this? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the whole capital insurrection thing that happened on January 6th. I'm like, Oh, I, I was, I I was like, I know. I was just like, I'm like, what in the hell? Yeah. And so I am. Um... I remember the day that happened. That was that was bizarre. As a as a, as as a European, someone on the other side of the the yeah. ocean, um, I was actually playing a Dungeons and Dragons game on Zoom with um, wow. my boyfriend and my friends, and we all were just we we finished the game, and w- whenever we finish the game, we always stay like stay on the Zoom and just chat yeah. and just hang out for like a couple of hours anyway. But I remember like literally we did that. We finished the game. Everyone was like, "Oh, okay, okay, that was a really good game." Whatever. And then I just looked at Twitter and we're, we're in, a, yeah. in, a, in a group chat together and there were some things in that. Uh, yeah. And I was like, what? And I looked through tweets and it was just, it was like I was seeing the end of the world. It was just this, like, not, 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 not to be hyperbolic, but you know, no, no, I, mean, I, mean, I was, was more like, this, this could be the start of a civil war. Like this was huge. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, I, I think part of my, you know, the whole thing about the post-apocalyptic thing too is like, I once that the orange one got elected I, I was like I was like holy crap I'm like all right so you know and then you know that whole thing happened I just saw so much like hate and so much yeah. you know all of that and I'm and actually um Mr. Ani and I were just like casually looking I'm like do you think you know since you're what would it cost to move to Ireland or somewhere, Canada? <laughs> like, you know, could we both work remotely? You know, where, where could we take the dog? What could we do? Yeah. Well, maybe the British Virgin Islands. Let's do that. That's, <laughs> that's closer. Just anywhere. Like, do we know anyone that has a boat? <laughs> no, I mean, but it, it, it's just like, I, I think that it's just, it's been such an unsettling time in so many ways that, yeah. you know, creating the post-apocalyptic thing allows me to work so maybe maybe this is actually more of a the writing as a therapy exercise is true <laughs> but it's funny um, how the more you think about it the more you can connect those dots though isn't it yeah it, it is yeah. so you know i think that it's just a natural fascination that people have with things ending how would people behave so yeah yeah um so then like what with your second book the garden of stone houses i mean that has a whole other side to you like the whole kind of thing yeah. with um tarot cards and voodoo and all that yeah. kind of a thing so um what was what was the seed that started that book let's say and what's that book about too sure uh so basically i'll, I'll tell a little bit what it's about first because then i think they'll give context for the seed maybe um it it takes place mostly in 1860 new orleans and there's this young girl named Selene. When she's six years old, this happens in the 1840s. She um, she sees these spirits come in through her window. She's playing with her dead father's tarot cards, and you know the spirits come talk to her and say that you know these cards belong to your father. You can talk to him through these cards. And meanwhile, her mother is in the next room getting fucked by this guy who's supporting them and putting them in a house. So she, the mother is like his mistress, you know, and the mother and the girl Selene hate him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the little girl Selene, she wants to talk to her father. So she, she looks at these cards and, you know, tries to do it. And then it flashed forwards years into the um, future where she's in her late teens. And she finds out that 
um, she's supposed to become the mistress to the son of her mother's mistress, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. Yeah, so follow that line of reasoning. But then, you know, she's like, well, mom, why are you, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and I was like, listen, you don't have to do anything, but, you know, I have plans. I'm, you know, trying to do these things. And so basically it's a way, Selene, she doesn't know how her father died. She doesn't know why her mother's with this man. And so the story, the book Thanks know, is her once again to Anya for coming on to the show the and sharing her fascinating take. The, mo the mother comes from County Mayo, Ireland. If you're as <laughs> I have her as an indentured I am, check out <laughs> her website or go follow her and, on Twitter. Um, so it's about ne negotiating in the uh, revenge versus justice. Now, don't forget about, about the competition out about the for the and, of the podcast. Um, Last week, the I girl, suggested Melanie, something, but with you know, it didn't really work out. And on reflection, I realized yes. it was a big The spirits she works with are also so, voodoo spirits. The change. And so there, if you would like her, to be in on this prize, then head to Twitter or any social media you have. And, make a post you know, what about the show plans are all of this. So, it, the it unravels. And so that's so the reason that on everything I, I think that Twitter, I think that sparked this was that words. my best or friend or at my pod, all one gave me story these tarot cards and you'll be entered in the draw for signed copies of my book vouchers for online bookstore of your choice and a copy of any one book any one book by any previous guest of your actual leg they're the kind of prizes because no one could see it but this was just at stoplights it wasn't when I was actually driving you yeah. could ask so, for a you know, I had the idea that I, I kind of teased out like that. Be sure to check out the show next week when I have on one of the biggest names in indie publishing, figure out a Joanna past mystery. Penn. Joanna writes thrillers under the name J.F. Penn, what they call writes the major nonfiction Arcana, for authors the, under the, the name Joanna Penn, world. has been so running the Creative Penn podcast for over 10 oh, years wow. and has and it, another it actually follows the, the, that type of structure follows the hero's journey type uh, of thing, books and which travel, again, which you know, mimics a lot of the same cast structure. Um, so she's just one of the biggest names and she's someone I really the aspire to I would look, give a little blurb uh, about to what those cards were, what they meant. So I was and then super be a reflection excited of that to in have the story. her on. Although I, I tried not to make the story like episode with you guys. too rigidly followed. Until then, yeah, yeah, chat you yeah. all later. But that that's really cool. So basically, it was it was a a, a birthday present that kind of yeah. you down a path. And I dedicated the book to my best friend. Then oh, <laughs> so, that's really good. Yeah, I, I told her I'm like you you inspired this story, and I I don't know where the rest of it really came from. It it, it was much more sudden than the Moon Hunters, you know, with with that type of thing. So, well, I I found that too because I I found um like for the longest night it was mm -hmm. a it was a it was a combination of things like it was literally not a word of a lie i put in a hat a list of like different things that i was just really passionate about or interested in and then it was just the first three things that came out that was the longest night um one being cults one being new grange and one being archaeology um yeah. you know awesome things all of them yeah yeah and and they actually tied together really well but then for my for my second book that i finished the children's fantasy novel that i'm kind of editing and querying right now it it was it was like that. It was um I some of the kids in the school I teach in found out that I had written a book and they were like, Oh, can we read it? And I was like, ha, no. <laughs> no, definitely not. Not for you. <laughs> no. And then um uh they were like, Are you gonna write a kid's book next? And I was like, ah, oh, maybe. And the teacher of that class was like, Tell you what, guys, uh, why don't you all uh design uh, a cover for Connor's next book and uh, we'll see what happens. And that's that's what basically happened is there's awesome i still have i still have the one and like the the boy who's 
cover design inspired the book knows this and he cannot wait and he he's refusing to read it he wants it to go i'll read it when you're published because you're definitely going to get published and i was like oh, i don't know man but um yeah so he designed this cover and that it was just like straight out, it was like i have a book in my head okay let's go you know it was yeah. just so it's, it's funny how we both had that kind of thing where one <laughs> developed and one just appeared and i think that 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 shows that you know we we learned something from the first book you know all all the mental gears <laughs> that were very trying. much so it's it, it, you know the exercise of doing that first book now all those you know cognitive structures and skills are in place <laughs> so I, you know maybe not always because sometimes stories take a while to get put together but still it's you know it you're like oh i know what to do with this and then the confidence to, yeah. to embrace that sort yeah of i think even that even the confidence to know well i've done it before so yeah. let's go and yeah, there are so many things you learn when you write your first book that you can fix. And I think that's why so many writers, they get their second book out so much quicker than their first book. Oh, yeah. Book. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I wrote the second book while I was querying the first. Oh, <laughs> then, really? Oh, yeah. wow. And then take, and because, you know, a lot of agents were saying, oh, the dystopian literature market is saturated. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll start, you know, writing. I'll go a completely different direction now. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe that'll be a way to kind of like, you know, find an agent publisher, what have you. And so, but yeah, so then I, I had the first draft of the second book done before <laughs> I, before I placed, oh, you wow. know, Moon Hunters. And then you know, after the Moon Hunters got published, I was like, hey, so I have this thing. Yeah, if let's go round two. <laughs> and so then, then I wrote the sequel to the Moon Hunters of editing that. And so, you know, that was also a quicker process. Yeah, that's the first book um and you're nearly out of time so okay. i i always love to ask the same couple of questions at the end um so my first question is when we're done here we've stopped recording we started we have a little chat after and say goodbyes what's the first thing you're going to do um when we chat or after we hang up the after we hang up <laughs> okay i'll probably um sign into the writing community chat show <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that <laughs> you did yeah. And then after that, I'm going to bake a quiche and it's my dog's birthday today. She's six. Aww. So we're going to, we're going to have my mother-in-law over for dinner and we're baking her little doggy quiche. We have doggy ice cream. And so I, I know it's like, I'm planning my dog's birthday dinner after the Renegade chat show. And then I have to take her out for a walk, you know, in between thunderstorms. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds like a jam-packed afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it'll it'll be fun. You know, we're we're gonna make it special for her, and then you know. Oh, that's sweet. We never fun. actually celebrate my dog's birthday. Maybe maybe we should. Maybe we should. Uh, I mean, if it, if it's something she would like, or even I, I don't even think our dog knows what's happening. No, <laughs> no, no. But still, still. Um. So then, my next question is, um, where can people find you and all your books and everything like that online? Sure. Um. You, you can um. If you go to anyapavel.com. Um, A-N-Y-A-P-A-V-E-L-L-E.com. <laughs> just making sure I spell that properly. Uh, um, you know, I have links to the books on there and you could also find them on Amazon. And I know that my publisher, Chandra Press, C-H-A-N-D-R-A Press, P-R-E-S-S. Yeah. <laughs> um, they should have a link as well. Um, people can follow me on Twitter. The handle's at Anya Pavel. And that's the social media platform where I'm most active. I also do some Instagram stuff, but I don't really, I have to work up my engagement. I'm not on TikTok yet because I don't know how the hell to do that, but 
I don't either. I like I, I I work on it and things happen, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So I have to think about that, but you can definitely, I mean, Amazon's probably the easiest place to find them. So I would recommend going there and then on my website, you can sign up for a newsletter, which I haven't sent out in a year and a half or more, <laughs> but I have a blog. I haven't updated for a year and a half because I didn't want to ramble about. I will say to anybody listening though, one thing that I, I think Anya, that you do really well is um, if, if you, if you tweet something and ask for a particular style of book, you'd like to read mm-hmm. Anya will be on top of that and be like, here's books I've read that you will like. So even for that, I think people should go follow you because you're so good and gracious and kind to promote other authors' books and not just your own all the time. Well, Halo Scott inspired me on that because she does a lot of recommendations too. And Kelly Miller. So, you know. Yeah, but it's important. Yeah. But yeah, if if anyone ever, you know, I'm on Goodreads too, and I have a lot of books that I've reviewed on there and write about. So if you want to, you know, I love historical fiction, science fiction, fantasy, and other things so if you had books just in general oh yeah i mean i like some you know some popular chick and memoirs a whole range of things i, I like to read a lot of different stuff thrillers yeah. um depends on my mood so you know if you want to read about different books then you know follow yeah. me on reads and whatnot excellent and then my last question is uh what was the last book you read Ooh. Or even the book you're reading now, if you can't remember the last one you read. Yeah. So, um, oh gosh, sometimes I read five books at the same time. So, (laughs) (laughs) I cannot do that. I cannot do that. Yeah. I I, I sometimes read between like two and seven books at a time, just jumping from a lot of them because, oh boy. Okay. This is, um, oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. I know the one. Ross Young's. Uh, get Ted Dead. I just finished that. I just finished and reviewed it recently. That's one where it's the most like it's really good. If you like good omens, if you like you know dry, snarky British humor, you will love this book. It's great. I that was very dry time. and snarky. Oh yeah, and it's it's if you like that type of humor, then this book is just like amazing. So yeah, that's what that's what I was trying to think of. But <laughs> I was also reading um you know the historical fiction about Cuba. <laughs> Chanel Clean's really good for that. So if you want, you know, stories that focus on historical Cuba and the Cuban diaspora <laughs> to Miami or Palm Beach. There Basically, you if you like books, Anya's got you covered. <laughs> That's all you need to take away from this, guys. <laughs> Anya, thank you so much for doing this. It's thank been great you. to have you on. And uh, as I said, it's been great to actually finally get to talk to you and get to know you. Likewise, Connor. Thanks once again to Anya for coming on to the show and sharing her fascinating take on the world and on writing. If you're as enamoured with Anya as I am, check out her website or go follow her on Twitter. You can find links on my website and in the show notes. Now, don't forget about the competition for the birthday celebration of the podcast. Last week, I suggested something, but, you know, it didn't really work out. And on reflection, I realised it was a big step to get people to do that. So... The plan has changed. If you would like to be in on this prize, then head to Twitter or any social media you have. Make a post about the show and tag me at Connor the Geek. So that's at Connor the Geek on everything, but on Twitter use underscores in between the words. Or at StorytellPod, all one word, StorytellPod. And you'll be entered in a draw for signed copies of my book, vouchers for online bookstore of your choice, and a copy of 
any one book, any one book by any previous guest of your choice. They're the kind of prizes we're working towards. I am putting out feeders for more. You couldn't ask for a better prize for a book lovers podcast. Be sure to check out the show next week when I have on one of the biggest names in indie publishing, Joanna Penn. Joanna writes thrillers under the name J.F. Penn, writes nonfiction for authors under the name Joanna Penn, has been running the Creative Pen podcast for over 10 years and has another podcast under J.F. Penn or Joe Francis Penn, uh, Books and Travel, which has been going for over two years or nearly three, I think. Um, she's just one of the biggest names and she's someone I really aspire to and look uh, look up to in terms of my own writing career. So I was super excited to have her on and I cannot wait to share her episode with you guys. Until then, chat to you all later. Thanks for listening today. I hope you loved listening to this episode just as much as I loved recording it. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or over on Podchaser. Until then, be good, be brave, and tell stories. See ya.